I know what I'm supposed to do in terms of like how to have a of like stable financial life and like building a future that you want. And I can even just like give that advice to other people. But like when it comes to trying to compute it and apply it, my brain just won't do it. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. A few weeks ago, a listener we're calling Tessa got a text from their sister. She was like asking me how my day was going and I just was frank with her. I'm like, I'm feeling really hopeless right now. Tessa is 27 and for the past few years, they've been keeping a secret about debt. It's like around 16,500-ish, all credit card debt. Tessa graduated from a prestigious university five years ago but has had trouble finding full-time work. They've held a series of part-time jobs. Last year, Tessa told me they earned about $22,000. And their mounting debt was usually something Tessa avoided talking about. But that day, I was like, I am a wreck. And I, Mm -hmm. my sister was just like, how's your day going? I'm like, badly. And she was like, what's going on? And I'm like, "Um, I just feel really down on this debt. And, you know, my sister was like, well, I know you... um, like this was just over text, but she's like, I know you don't necessarily want my help. Um, but if you, you know, I'm here, if you need it, I'm here. And I thought about it all day. And then I finally sent her this really long text where I was like, you know, um, actually I, I do, I'm, I'm not in a position to refuse your help if you're, if you're willing to offer it. And why didn't you call her? Why, why did it feel better to write a long text later that night responding? I guess like I'd been I've been thinking about it all day like how much should I tell her or sh- like how what should I tell her or like mm-hmm. you know should I should I actually concretely ask her for this help because basically I just was rereading like that last part of like if you need help I'm always here because I part of me like does want to ask her potentially for concrete financial help but I'm like I don't feel good doing that. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to feel like I was using her. Oh, you didn't, you didn't, you wanted to make sure you could trust yourself if you took her help. Yeah. And I just didn't, I didn't want to make her feel like that's what it was going to be, that I was using her because I, I, I barely wanted to tell her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a turkey. <laughs> I, I, I just want to acknowledge I'm hearing so many birds. <laughs> I talked with Tessa on a video call as they sat on their back deck in the spring sunshine, birds chirping around them. They live in the Bay Area. It's beautiful and one of the most expensive places to live in America. Tessa's rent is $2,400 a month, but their partner covers most of it because he's got a better paying job. Tessa sent us a message when we asked for stories about borrowing and lending money during the pandemic. Their troubles started with credit card debt back in college when their dad co-signed a credit card with them. Tessa quickly got into debt, opened more credit cards, and the debt kept on climbing, even after they got an unexpected windfall a few years ago. At one point, I had credit card debt that was, like, closer to eighteen, nineteen thousand. 19000 
And very unexpectedly, completely out of left field, I ended up part of this really random lawsuit with a place that I used to work. And uh, it got settled. And I got a $15,000, I don't know, like enhancement award or something because like I had to do a uh, deposition. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you did you put all of that towards your credit card debt? Uh, yes, I did all of it at once. One <laughs> one payment. You just like clicked and made that. Yeah, Im- and deposit. and it was gone. And was <laughs> it your intention when you were making that payment? Were you thinking, "This is I'm never going to go back here. This is a a new relationship to debt that I'm going to have." I was like, "Dang, I wish this were." A little bit more so I could have knocked out all the debt completely at once because I, it did cross my mind. I'm like, you know, I know this is like getting rid of most of it is great. And it's so much closer to me having a new fresh start than ever before. But at the same time, I am worried that I am going to mess this up and end up exactly where I was before, except now there's no magical lawsuit. There's no magical windfall money that comes out of nowhere. I'm just going to be in it. And that is what happened. It ballooned back up to 16 in less than a year. How did that happen? When I realized, like, you know, I need to really stop spending. And I clearly, despite my best efforts, do not have the self-control to just not do it. I just cut up all my credit cards. And that... I. It was something so simple that people talk about doing and it worked so effectively. And I was like, God, I wish I'd done this years earlier. And then out of nowhere, for no apparent reason, it's almost like my creditors knew that I cut them up or something. They were like, oh, here, we're just going to send you replacements or like we updated our chip technology. So here's a brand new card. And they all kind of came around the same time and I didn't cut them up immediately. And I knew even at the time when they arrived, I should, and I, and I didn't. What do you spend money on? Well, um, God, I was, I was thinking about before this phone call, I'm like, what's the question I don't really want? And I ask whatever she's going to, and I'm like, oh no, it's it's this. Assuming that we're not just talking about maintaining the minimums on credit cards, which I was doing for a while, um, I just spent it on all sorts of things. And there were like some very small portions of the debt that I felt were like warranted, like my teeth being super messed up, um, and needing fillings, and at the time not having dental insurance. But the majority of spends would be whatever my interest was at the time. I I tend to get um, really, really consumed by and really hyper-fixated on passing things. Um, And it would just be kind of what's what's the thing of the moment. Um, Concretely, uh, let's see, one time I got really into slime, the thing that the kids like. Uh There's, I know, uh, and believe it or not, there's, um, there's like, <laughs> there's like the gross looking slime that your kids can make. And then there's like designer slime 
that people like professionals on Instagram can make. Okay, boutique slime. You got into the boutique slime corners of the internet. Okay. (laughs) Instagram really got me there. They predicted things that I would like too well, unfortunately. Um, So let's see. Boutique slime. I really, really like jewelry, even though I don't even, I don't know. I don't wear it that much because I feel like I sort of forget to accessorize in the morning. What's um, the most expensive piece of jewelry you've bought? Like, how expensive was it? Oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> I got, like, a custom, like, really fancy opal ring that I made the decision to also get done in, like, 18K gold, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and that cost, like, $3,000. And I just remember, like, the package came. And I'm like, it's so beautiful. And I also have to hide it. And I can never really wear it um, because... Oh. Not because I don't love it and not because it's not pretty, but I'm like, I know I shouldn't have bought this. You you felt ashamed of buying it. Uh Yeah. I just, my mom also like has a huge spending problem and I always promised myself I wouldn't be like her. In particular, my mom had a great affinity for QVC, Home Shopping Network, mm-hmm. like J Max, like anything that she thought was a good deal. And then she'd buy it and then she wouldn't let go of it. And I think also while I was in the middle of like these different spending sprees, I'm like, okay, I know I'm spending money that I don't have. I know how a credit card works. I know what my dad um, warned me not to do, but uh, I'm buying good things. I'm buying things that I think are much better than the things my mom bought. <laughs> And I I still think that, but I'm still in the same predicament. So it kind of doesn't matter if the things I bought are quote unquote better by my standards. Like it, it doesn't matter. Tessa has been treated for depression since they were a teenager. And this spring, the mounting debt started to feel really heavy. So Tessa decided to go ahead and tell their sister everything. My sister works in tech. She's at a really great point in her career. She's really financially savvy. I know that she is making good money and that she's on track to meet her financial goals. And so, you know... You had an idea that she had extra. Bottom line, she could very well have money lying around and I could ask her just straight up like to help me with this in whatever way she's comfortable, if she's comfortable with it. And also, I was just like, I'm in over my head. I don't know what I'm doing. She looks like she knows what she's doing. I'm in trouble. And I just also need to tell somebody about this because nobody knows. It's been a year. I'm about to crack. So I might as well just do it. And and when does that, like when you get on the phone together and start talking about what this is going to mean, um, who clarified first that money could be part of her helping you? Um. I clarified because my sister just asked me point blank, what do you, what kind of help are you asking for? Um, and what'd you say? I was like, um, in that moment, I, I wanted to say, can I borrow $8,000? Because that's like half of the debt. And I like, I felt like that was the most I could potentially ask to borrow without completely hating myself. Mm. And even that felt like too much to ask. And what I said instead was, let me 
let me tell you what's going on. Let me just explain what what's happening first. Did you ever say, can you loan me $8,000? Um, she, she offered more than that. She offered to, she offered pretty much the full amount. What did it feel like to have someone say to you, I hear you're asking me for help. I can hear you're at, and, and I want to actually open up a conversation where I help you even more than what you're asking me to do. It felt, um, I feel like if I, if I was asked this question, but without like a specific context, I'd be like, it's a relief. It was not a relief. Mm. It, I just felt like I, I just felt like I really failed. I just felt like I, I really, I really let down a lot of people, even if they don't know it yet. And here's the first person to know that I just, I just really, I just really screwed up again. Hmm. It like reinforced for you the feeling of shame that you were feeling that you needed help, that she was willing to help you more. Yeah. I, I felt like it would have almost maybe felt easier if she was like, no, or, or berated me or like admonished me or just been like, Tessa, how did you like, why or how, or like, how could you, or just no, like I, when she was just like, I can, I have the means to, and I'm willing to do it. I just felt so low. And I was just like, I'm a fuck up. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so ashamed. Coming up, I talk with Tessa's sister about making that offer and about what she and Tessa decided to do next. I had been talking with them about giving them the money, but I was also kind of like, are there other options? You've been sending in your stories about some of the hardest conversations you've ever had. We've heard about coming out to your family, confronting a parent about an affair, telling a partner that you were leaving the relationship. We were standing on the deck behind our house, and it was freezing cold and dark. And I just said it. And I can't remember that much about the conversation after those first few sentences that, that, that I said. And I, I can't remember that much about how he responded. I think it was mainly just shock. Um, and even 11 years later, I'm still shocked um, that I, A, that I made that decision, and B, that I had the courage to sit down and have that conversation. As we get closer to the release of my new book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, we want you to keep telling us about the hardest conversations you've ever had. Record a voice memo or write an email and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. So far on this one, we've heard mostly from women. So men and non-binary people, send in your stories about hard conversations, too. On the next episode, when did you realize that you could have died? That's hard, because for about, I don't know, almost a year, 
after my accident. I wished that I had because it was just so much work. We share your stories about when you almost died. You asked if it changes you. And for me, it it definitely did. Uh, And not always for the better. Uh, I'd say for me, it's made me a little more impatient. Every moment has to matter. uh, But then it doesn't. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash DeathSexMoney. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. About halfway through my video call with Tessa, another window popped open. It was Tessa's older sister. It's me. Oh, crap. Is that Ani? Yes. (laughs) Ani is Korean for older sister. We're calling Tessa's sister Rose. 
She's two and a half years older than Tessa. She lives not far from them, also in the Bay Area. And she called in during her lunch break to talk with us about when she got that long text from Tessa one night a few weeks ago. It, it, it was a surprise and it wasn't a surprise. And I mostly just wanted to know kind of what is the magnitude of the situation? They kind of told me, hey, like the debt that I had like ballooned back up and I, I'm in over my head and I need help. And when they told me the amount, I was like, okay, that is like basically the upper limit of what I was willing to loan you in terms of doing all this. And Tessa was just telling me that hearing you say, you know what, I can help you pay the whole thing off, to, mm-hmm. to hear you say that, just like how, how many feelings that came with, including even more shame than they already had, because mm. you were willing to. Is that how you would put it, Tessa? <sighs> yeah, I mean, we've, you know, we've, we've talked about this where I, when you told me that you could pay it all off I just was like wow I I really suck (laughs) I suck so much (laughs) I suck $16,000 worth of my sister's disposable like other money that she could be doing so many other things with Rose Tessa's said that to you before Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I'm not in Tessa's position, but I could totally imagine what that's like. I also told them, like, part of the reason that I don't, it's not that I don't have feelings, but I don't have, like, negative, you're a bad person feelings towards this is that, I don't know, I just don't feel like shame, like shaming other people is not a great motivator to get them to open up and actually seek help. A few days after they initially talked about Tessa's debt, and Rose had agreed to lend Tessa $16,000, Tessa brought over a watercolor painting that they'd bought from a local artist. They basically gave me a tiny piece of collateral being like, hey, you know, like, this is definitely not even close to what it is. And honestly, on the open market, it's probably not actually worth that much, but it is something that's very valuable to me and I'd like you to hang on to it until I pay the debt back. And I was planning on telling my partner about me loaning the money to Tessa even and like part of it is more as a heads up because we keep our finances separate. But he was like, what are you, what's going on? That was kind of weird. And I was like, well, I wasn't going to tell you about it until afterward, but here's the situation. And he kind of looked at me like, you two are so dumb. There are other options. And we and like it was. An Wait, did he say that? An- did he say that? Like <laughs> those were the words. Yeah, those were the words to me. This was after Tessa had already driven away and left. And he's like, "Think of it this way: like if you loan the money to Tessa, what sixteen thousand dollars? Yeah, that's sixteen thousand dollars today. But how long do you think? Like, let's assume that Tessa can pay it all back. How long do you think that'll take? And I said, um, I guess um, optimistically, five to seven years. And he says to me, like, okay, so you think of it as $16,000, but if you invested $16,000 just using average stuff and he did the calculation for me, he was like, you're basically giving them $32,000. So he was basically like, 
you guys are not thinking with your brains right now. Rose started to look at other options for Tessa. They started texting back and forth about debt consolidation and debt settlement. And then Rose brought up bankruptcy. Like she was texting me and my, my sister made it a point to be like, I, I, I will still keep my offer of $16,000 on the table, but I would like us to consider another option that we think might be better. I was like, okay, um, what is it? And I, I knew what she was going to say. Like I was at work <laughs> texting her and, and she was like, bankruptcy. And I was like, my, my stomach, my heart and my stomach and all my other organs just dropped out of me. And I was like, um, <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, everything dropped out of you because of like just that like hit. Like, like, Word. Uh, yeah. Yeah, because it just seems like so scary and people I don't I don't know. I think a lot of it comes to the stigma around it, not just in general, but I feel like people talk about like bankruptcy is the worst thing you could ever do. And like you should just avoid being in that situation at all costs. Um I also want to mention that um part of the reason why um why it came up that this might be a better uh, option for Tessa in particular when I was talking with my boyfriend was that he brought up a good point, which is something that I had also kind of been thinking about and brought up with Tessa, which is that, yes, if we pay off the debt and all of that, what mechanisms are there that would prevent this from happening again? And my boyfriend's response to it was like, well, I mean, so... If you loaned them the $16,000, there's no guarantee that you get it back. So you need to kind of think of that money as gone. One. Two, what happens if they end up in this situation again because their credit and all this other stuff didn't take a hit. So they still have all these things open. That doesn't address the issue. And then three, like if, if it were to happen again, then what? Let's just take it a step further. We're not going to give them more money and all this other stuff. So what does it sound like? They probably, and if we were to continue this thread, they could end up in the same situation. If they do, then they would. And I was like, probably have to look into bankruptcy. You might be right. Because uh. the the biggest thing here too is that like, and Tessa and I've talked about it and we agree that it's like, there needs to be some kind of guardrail there to help them as they're like learning to cope and manage their finances. And while we could do that manually, that actually means that I have to be there and kind of get more involved with it's their your personal responsibility. finances. Yes, okay. absolutely. And this way, it actually gives them the, um, what is that word? Like, not responsibility, but kind of the agency. It gives them, the, yes, thank you, the agency to move forward and take everything from there with all these guardrails built in for them. The guardrail is losing access to credit. Correct. How who's paying for the attorney? I'm paying for the attorney. So they don't have enough money that they could pay for it. And it would be, and if they were to save up, it would take them months to do it. What I told them was, hey, I understand that the attorney fees are going to be somewhere between fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars. Instead of loaning you the sixteen thousand dollars, I'm just going to give you the money for the attorney. Doesn't you don't have to pay that one back. And and Tessa, when you talked to the attorney and said, here it is, here's the debt, here's where I am, here's how much I earn, here's how much I owe, uh, what did you, what did the attorney tell you were the trade-offs for you of declaring bankruptcy? I, you know, would close out my credit cards um, and 
I, you know, my credit, my credit, uh, score would take a huge hit. Um, also like it would probably be difficult for me in future years. Um, if I was trying to get a mortgage, it's like, I can't even apply for different types of loans for a certain amount of years. And even then, even when I am able to apply in two, three, four years, depending on the type of loan, um, the interest rate and the terms are going to be worse. And that was a very hard thing to reconcile and talk to my boyfriend about, who also didn't know about my debt. I told my sister first, and then I told him second. And like we were probably hoping to maybe own something and apply for a mortgage in the next 10 years. And I have completely tanked uh, a lot of our options or just even just the fear of we're going to have probably worse terms and not be able to get as much or even maybe get a loan at all because of me. Despite those trade-offs, Tessa decided to go ahead with the bankruptcy process. But as Tessa and Rose have been talking together about next steps, they've also been wondering if Tessa's financial problems aren't just about poor money management. It entered my mind that some of these um, kind of impulsive purchases and having struggles with money has more to do with um, Tessa's mental health issues than what we first thought, that it was just, oh, they're not good with money or they just need to try harder. We were just obviously texting back and forth and out of nowhere, they're just like, oh yeah, like, you know, I've been reading these articles about being a death doula and I was like, okay, and they're like, maybe I'll be a death doula. And I was like, okay, um, not trying to shit on your parade, but I don't know what's going on. And then they're like, oh yeah. And I've also been thinking about doing this other thing, like selling um, animal bones that I've cleaned and stuff on Etsy. Whoa, 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 having, whoa. I oh, did not sorry. say I was trying to sell those. Hold up. Okay, but you made it sound like <laughs> okay, it. Even if it was I wasn't joke. trying to know how it's worth that. <laughs> it was a lot going on, but also like we have another friend who has bipolar and she I used to live with her and she mentioned to me like oh if, by the way if I ever see manic you should probably call the hospital and then it suddenly popped in my head again and I was like hmm, what does mania look like mm-hmm. so I started looking into it and like the way that Tessa was kind of coming across through test text just seemed weird just weird <laughs> I mean they are already impulsive but like weirder than normal and I kind of pointed it out like have you ever considered that maybe you have like potentially hypomanic episodes? And we started just like sending um, articles back and forth, mm. kind of describing what mania is like and what bipolar could look like. And we were looking at it and more and more of these things started kind of ticking the boxes. And and Tessa, did that feel okay to have your sister bring up? Is that something that's ever occurred to you? Yeah, I've definitely considered and and asked my doctor and uh, like therapists that I've seen if it's if it's possible that I might have bipolar. So I've had um, a diagnosis of major depression disorder um, since I was 13, 14. So about half my life at this point. Um, but I, I noticed in the last seven or eight years, it, it felt like the nature of my mental illness. It felt different. Um, it, it felt markedly different than when I was younger. And I, it's just like, 
my sister and my boyfriend in particular had just noticed, especially lately, that um, it seemed like my interests were, like I was rapidly cycling through them and with a fierce intensity even faster than usual. Like my, my boyfriend didn't say it up front, but he was just like, I could tell he was exhausted by like, okay, what's the next thing? Tessa's going to get into and like are you like how long is that going to last before the next thing even Rob he's like is this going to be the new slime again oh um, the slime we heard about the slime before you got on the line Rose <laughs> oh yeah you know it makes me think as we as we talked about your financial situation it's very clear that you have you feel uh, a deep sense of shame about where you've ended up and I wonder if thinking about, you know, thinking about it in the context of mental health and, and mental illness, does it, does it loosen that feeling of failure for you at all? It does. It, it does by a lot. I mean, it's still like hard, but I mean, I recognize even before my sister brought bankruptcy to the table that like this, you know, if she gave me the 16000 up front, that wouldn't actually change my core problem, like even all the things that I bought with all this money that I didn't have, it was never about the things. It was about the rush of buying the things. It was about coveting something that I wanted and then I had it and then I just moved on. Like it was easy for me to buy these things and it was just as easy for me to give them away. And I've always known that um, I have an addictive personality and I've I've dealt with other types of addictions that were coping mechanisms for better or for worse um, that I think just over time, it was easy to shift those dilemmas that I was having to just move it onto this. And Rose, do you think if you hadn't been talking about this current money crisis and trying to problem solve around that, do you think you would have, um, you would have been thinking about like, oh, maybe there's something really big underlying this. Do you think Tessa asking for help opened up this broader conversation about maybe there's an underlying mental health condition that we need to focus on? If this was the first time we had talked about them having like a pretty large debt load, would have been like, okay, this is a thing that happened to you. But because it was like, you had all this money, you threw the money from the settlement into this debt. And then the debt just went all the way back up to this, basically to the same point that it was before you threw the money in there. Then it was kind of like, okay, like what, what is going on? So I would say that probably you're right, that it is because um, we were already talking about money that this became more noticeable in the first place. Because like, we've been talking a lot about the fact that Tessa has very, very poor impulse control. And it's like, but why? Why do you have such poor impulse control? Is it you? Is it something else? Yeah, I mean, I think something that's interesting about um, what Anna asked you about, like my sister and I, I, I can tell, like we talk a lot more like frequently in general because of all of this, because of the bankruptcy discussion. You're dealing with something together. You're like making well, yes. a plan together. Uh-huh. It's, it's about that. We've had a lot of conversations about that, but even just innocuous random everyday talk um Mm. i like we just talk a lot more period and i mean my sister and i we didn't get along as kids because she was a jerk and she'll acknowledge that um 100 we (laughs) we got closer when we got older but uh even when we when we got like maybe college age there were times where i was like i just feel like my 
sister is like preaching to me about like her views or in, in ways it would be a little bit like ages like oh when you're my age when you're two and a half years older um you will understand <laughs> the life experience that i have had that will lead you to the same conclusion that i have had and i'm like what the heck i i didn't feel comfortable in particular talking to my sister about really sensitive or touchy things with um my sister was just the last person if even I think about the list at all that I, I would go to about anything. Hmm. You know, I, I admittedly kept aspects of our relationship very surface level because I was just like, I don't I don't want you to talk at me or tell me how to do these things or take care of me or whatever. I just Yeah. I feel like um yeah, just in light of all this, I actually have felt genuinely closer to my sister than before. There's going to be some hardship that comes from declaring bankruptcy for Tessa. Do you think that's going to be good for them? You know, it's funny because um, at a when we were discussing the specifics of the bankruptcy, they also asked me, "Hey, I know this is a lot to ask, but would you be able to help me pay this other this one debt that I do need to keep?" And I countered and I said, "Hey, you know, like." given that that's the one debt that you have to deal with and it feels like it's within like reach for you since it's the one thing, I actually think that it would be better for you to work on that because that that debt in particular is the one tied to our dad's credit. Yeah, and it's the co-signed card. That we need to have. Yeah, and it's yeah. a conversation we need to have with our dad anyway. But, you know... What's funny is that there's actually a Korean proverb, the actual wording in Korean, I can't remember, but it's basically that like, even if you have to pay for it, a little bit of hardship is good for your life. Mm. And I actually really, that really resonates with me that like having this one debt that's not going to be wiped away and that it's something that Tessa really cares deeply about paying and dealing with because it doesn't only affect them is going to be good for them because it means that they have like this is some this is a responsibility they have not to just themselves but to other people Mm. who will now know about it and it is going to be that opportunity where it's like okay you're gonna you're gonna mow down this debt and then because it's a cosine card you're gonna shut it down rose do you still have the painting I do still have the painting. It is still here. When are you going to return it? What, what What's the terms of when that gets returned? I mean, honestly, at this point, it's kind of up to Tessa. Like, I can hold it for them until whenever, if it feels like a symbolic gesture, I can also give it back to them since I didn't give them the $16,000 to begin with. What do you think, Tessa? I don't know. I, I I think I want her to keep it for now because it it I mean it was a symbolic gesture to start with. Clearly it's not worth the liquid <laughs> cash she was about to infuse into my dilemma. Um but also I I I still have that piece as it was shipped to me. I, I never opened it. Um and I I'm hoping that, you know, when I'm in a better financial situation that I could finally get it framed. So it makes sense for my sister to hold on to it for now. 
That's a listener we're calling Tessa and their sister, who we're calling Rose. This week, Tessa told us they had a psychiatric appointment and are starting new medication. They'll be getting regular counseling going forward. If you're looking for resources about managing your consumer debt, there's a link in our show notes to a page of resources and information. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Afi Yellowduke, Emily Botine, Yasmin Khan, and Andrew Dunn. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis read our theme music. You can find me on Instagram at AnnaSalePix, P-I-C-S. The show is at DeathSexMoney on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you to David Crowfoot in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join David and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Tessa told me their dad now knows about their debt. He got a notice in the mail, which forced the conversation. And just a few days after we talked, Tessa officially filed for bankruptcy. I just want to have enough money to not only be able to meet future goals, but I want to just treat people to nice things every mm. once in a while. Maybe, maybe kind of um, impulsively, but... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. WNYC.